0: What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 140 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to don't be a jerk. Don't answer your question first by not
1: answering your question. I
0: really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk
1: about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul.
0: And I'm Andy.
1: And we are The Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan.
0: If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. You can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com.
1: In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, and then we will gather a group of fellow teenagers in order to reopen an abandoned summer camp known as Camp Mailbag, and hope we don't get picked off one by one as we attempt to answer listener questions, comments, and concerns.
0: That's right, Paul. It's Mailbag the 13th. <laughs> it actually is our 13th Mailbag episode.
1: This is great. We've made it very far.
0: We have thematically on point. Paul, let me tell you, I woke up about 15 minutes ago.
1: You got that morning voice going.
0: And I am ready to think deeply and meaningfully on all of our listeners' ethical quandaries while being uh, witty and charming at the same time, Paul.
1: (laughs) That's good, because I woke up about 30 minutes ago.
0: (laughs) Perfect. The things we do. You know, we used to record so late at night, and now we've been on this real early morning grind, and I don't know how I feel about it.
1: (laughs) I have not had coffee
0: yet. Paul, what are you doing with your life?
1: I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I I I thought I could do it, but we'll
0: see. All right. Well, yes, this brings us another mailbag episode. But before we answer any listener emails, we got to talk about some announcements. And this is the last time we're going to say this because it's happening this weekend, uh, July 14th at the Atlantic City Vegan Food Festival in Atlantic City, New Jersey. We will be doing our live podcast with a special guest and time is still TBA on that. But if you check on our social media or come say hi at the Compassion Company table at the fest, I'm sure we will have a time Mm -hmm. by that point to let you know when to, to come out. But coming to see the podcast is included. Included in the price of admission, so hope to see some beardos there and we'll be sure to hook you up with some some buttons and stickers.
1: Yeah. Andy, you got some other stuff going on too.
0: I do, I do. So uh July twenty eighth and twenty-ninth, I'll be flying out to the Colorado Veg Fest, or Veg Fest Colorado as they say it. And on the twenty-ninth at two twenty PM, which is the Sunday. I'm going to be speaking on a panel with J.L. Fields and Ginny Messina about food and body shaming in the vegan movement. So I'm really excited to return to Denver, Paul, so we can (laughs) compare food notes Mm because I haven't been there in a while. And then also, I forgot to announce this last episode, because I wasn't sure exactly when this was going to be released, but uh, I had the the privilege and honor of being a guest co-host on the Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack podcast. Nice. So I joined uh, Nicole, and we did an, a movie analysis of Mother by Darren Aronofsky, so... That was that was a lot of fun. Paul, have you seen that movie? <laughs> no
1: way, Andy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the reason why I was the guest co-host, because Callie had the same reaction. was like, nah, I'm never going to see that film. <laughs> so Who's yeah, scary? that was episode 181. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, but it was definitely a fun conversation, and we, we did some news as well. So yeah, definitely go check that out.
1: And before we go on into the food, Andy, as per usual, we have our mailbag winners. So if you don't know what's going on now... Each mailbag episode, we randomly pick three people that have given us a review on our iTunes and we'll send them a button and a sticker. We use a random number generator, so it's completely fair. And once you've made a comment, once you are entered uh, forever.
0: So, as evidenced by the wide timeline range of all the winners of today's episode,
1: yeah. So, Andy, who's our first winner?
0: Our first winner is actually our twelfth oldest entry, and that is Josh Gutier Gutier, so G U T I E R. Nice. So thanks, thanks, Josh. Congratulations.
1: Our second winner is TMD two five one two thousand seventeen. That was also a part of their name, and <laughs> and the time that they wait
0: really. Yes, that's fun. I just put twenty sixteen because I, I saw you had put twenty seventeen and wanted <laughs> to be on theme.
1: <laughs> nice, nice. No, that was a part of their name, TMD251-2017. Uh, and the comment was made in 2017. The review was made in 2017, so it's on brand.
0: You know how some people will will put their the year they were born in their username? Like yes. Andy T 1983 something like mm-hmm. that. Do you think this person was born last year? Probably. And we're finally hitting that baby demographic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if I thought TMD two five one twenty seventeen didn't roll off the tongue, our final winner is Blah HZHSBF, who's actually our second most recent review. So nice, a real wide range there. So if you heard your name, Josh Gutier TMD two five one or Blah HZHSBF, send us an email to thebeardvegans at gmail.com. We will send you out a button and a sticker, maybe a couple of stickers. You know what, Paul? I don't think mm-hmm. we've talked about this on the show, but we actually have a new sticker. We do. We have a new sticker soon to maybe be on some other merch. Uh, if you're following our if you're following our Instagram, you'll know. What's that, Paul?
1: I said I don't know if that's a secret. <laughs>
0: It's a secret to anyone not following any of our social media. So, yeah, maybe we'll throw in three stickers because we have three stickers at this point. But, yeah. So, yeah, if you want to get in on that, just write us an iTunes review and you'll get entered for every single time we do a mailbag episode until you win.
1: Which is bound to happen eventually.
0: Statistically, I don't know about that, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Unless people stop writing reviews and then the show keeps going.
1: True, true. All right, Andy, let's move on into the food. So you've eaten a lot of punny stuff.
0: I sure have. I sure have. You know, I've actually eaten a lot of really good food. And in in an effort to make sure the food doesn't go on too long, I'm picking the one that I really wanted to talk about for now. And I got to finally visit Onion Maiden in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure how long this place has been open, but not super long and everyone's been recommending them but i've never been passing through on a day that they've been open and so as you mentioned paul some some punny things going on here the onion <laughs> maiden they play on iron maiden i have to say it's not really a pun It <laughs> kind of bothers me just a little bit <laughs> onion maiden doesn't is not a pun off iron maiden like it's the words are there the imagery is there you know what I'm as, saying? As,
1: especially because a lot of the other food choices are very good puns too. Like they could have chosen one of these other food puns as the tu- as the name of the restaurant.
0: Yes, yeah, they certainly could. So I'll read a few of the menu items. They have some some tater tots called Darth Taters. I nice. thought that was pretty solid. They had a, a salad called Kale Em All. Awesome. And nice. then they had they had not a pun, but they just had a hot dog called Fuck Nazi Sympathy. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. I do have to say I felt like the theming was a little all over the place. You know, they sort of set it up to be all metal puns because yeah. of the iron, uh, the Onion Maiden thing, and one of the tater tots is called I hate I ate tots. Nice, uh, but then they also have Emperor Palpatots, so it's like a, a Star Wars thing. They have Aqua Poutine Hunger Force. Oh, that's my. Favorite. And they have a hot dog called the K- K- Kimmy Gibbler, <laughs> so like a Full House reference right there. So, I don't know. It's kind of all over the place, but I'm such a fan of the food puns that I'm going to let it slide. And the food was also quite tasty. I got the bun-o, which is like nice. a, a bow bun, which was very tasty, and the three-eyed ramen. But the star of the show that I that I got at the end of the meal, just on a whim, was this pecan bar. Mm-hmm. And, Paul, I, I love pecan pie. Pecan one, pie? One of my... <clears throat> pecan pie, Paul. <laughs> what are you, British? Con. <laughs> I, you know, I feel like you don't find pecan pie vegan very often. And when you do, it's usually not that great. And my mom used to make it every Thanksgiving. So it's something I'm so fond of. And this was such a perfect replica of the, the pecan pie that my mom used to make. The, the the caramelly, whatever kind of filling was was smooth and creamy and not too dense and not too thick. And everything about was great. And it had this sort of crumbly graham cracker-esque crust. And it was it was truly a phenomenal dessert. So mm. I would return there just to get some of those baked goods.
1: I, I, you know, I've never been to Pittsburgh, even though I live in Philadelphia, but it's like eight hours away or something absurd like
0: that. Yeah, I was trying to get you to stop there to go to Apteca, that, that amazing Pol- vegan Polish oh, place. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe one day, maybe one day we'll get you a, a trip to to Pittsburgh. You could make it to Colorado, but not Pittsburgh, huh, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so, Paul, my love of food puns goes deep. And it had mm-hmm. me thinking about this time that some friends and I decided to come up with a menu of items that would go for an Arnold Schwarzenegger themed <laughs> diner. And I won't I won't regale everyone with too many too many menu items but my two favorites were a blueberry scone called wait for it sconan the blueberry. <laughs> amazing and then the one that's just the worst horrible shoehorned in pun but I love it so much would be the jalapeno poppers called kinderpeño pop
1: <laughs> uh, oh, I was actually thinking I was I was going to say kindergarten tot was my tater tot. No, no, my no. Tater no. Kinderpeño pop,
0: Paul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So that was that you made in Pittsburgh. Paul. Yes, Andy. You went to the other side of the country on me.
1: I did. In a rare instance of me leaving the place that I live in, I took a little vacation with some of my friends to Denver. I'd never been there before. And we're actually going to, because I was there for a week, I got to eat at a a few cool places and I don't want to unload them all on you right now. We're actually going to release a Free bonus episode on our Patreon that's going to be available to to everyone, so you can go over to our Patreon, whether you're a subscriber or not, and check it out, where I'm going to kind of talk about in depth some of the cool places that I went to, but I just want to pick one and share one for now as a little teaser, and I think my favorite place that I went to, we went both, it was the first place we went to in Denver, and the last place we went to was Watercourse Foods, and... I'll share the very first thing I got there, which was, it was called the big rig. And I posted a picture of this on the Instagram. It was this like huge satan cutlet with gravy all over it. And it was on top of a tofu scramble and some home fries. And then there was a biscuit on the side. And Andy, I, I cannot remember the last time that I've had to ask for a takeout box because I could not finish the food
0: but shame this <laughs> shame
1: <laughs> but this was so much food and it was it was like reasonably priced as well like you got such a good portion of food for your for your for how much you were paying for it that I had to take it out and eat it later and it was still just as good but it was incredible and and it really set the tone for the rest of the trip food wise and like I said, if you want to check out some of the other good food I have, you can head over to the Patreon where there'll be a free bonus episode.
0: Yeah, and if you want to do that, just go to thebeardvegans.com slash Beardo and then follow the Patreon link. And I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about more food because Denver Denver is a city that I love. Watercourse actually would not have been my number one pick. I feel like I just haven't had the right thing there, maybe, but it's the place that everybody raves about, and every time I leave, I'm like, that's pretty good.
1: I know we have some divisive opinions about this. (laughs) So (laughs) head over to that free bonus episode and hear us arguing about the food in Denver.
0: (laughs) Your taste is wrong, Paul. (laughs) All right, Andy. We've been warned by old Ralph in the town, but I think it's time to dive into the next mailbag. Mailbag. Because the mail never stops. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. There's never a let-up. It's relentless. Every day it piles up more and more and more. you've got to get it out. and the more you get out, the more it keeps coming in. And then the barcode reader breaks.
1: And it's published. clearing out. All right. All right. All right. When you control the mail, you control information.
0: All right. So these are... Listener questions, comments, and concerns that have been collected from our email, from our Instagram DMs, from our Facebook messages, Facebook comments, and we do our best to get a variety of questions. We try to answer things we haven't answered before, and I think we've done a pretty good job with that on this episode, but it's hard to remember going all the way back to mailbag (laughs) number one after 13 so far, but we try to order these in order of sort of lightness to heaviness as we go along. But Paul, I I prepared Mm -hmm. everything last night, and I woke up this morning, and we got this great email, and I've said, we need to have Paul answer this, but I don't know where in the order to put it. So we're putting it up top. You ready for it? Sounds good to me. Okay, so we got an email from Mary R. He said, hello, beardos. I've been a long-time listener and look forward to hearing your beautiful, beardo voices each week. <laughs> so naturally, I feel like you two are my internet friends that I get to have a one-sided conversation with each week. But my one complaint is that I feel like I know Andy more than Paul. Maybe, Paul, you are a fiercely private person. That's okay. But if not, can we get a little life update on you? When we all started out together, you were a math teacher, and then you moved, and now you're moving again, and... Are you still teaching math, Paul? Are you moving <laughs> around, chasing your dream of finding the best buffalo chicken wrap there is? Are you trying to break the Guinness Book of World Records for how much raw tofu a person can consume <laughs> in a day? Tell us, Paul. Your fans are dying to know. Oh so this God. is a very thoughtful email from Mary. <laughs> uh, let me just say before you answer this, Paul. Mm-hmm. Everyone listening should sleuth around, find Paul's Instagram account, and follow that. Because you'll get a wonderful... Window into the world of Paul Steller. <laughs> All
1: right. Um, so yes, I was a math teacher in Connecticut, and then I stopped doing that about a year ago, and I moved to Philadelphia, where I was a, doing a mix of different part-time jobs, including, but not limited to, tutoring math, but also dog walking. So if you find that find that Instagram, a lot of good dog pics, none of which are, are actually mine, but very cute dogs. And now I am briefly in Connecticut, which was nice because I got to hang out with Andy a little bit. And then in about two weeks, I'm going to be moving to Delaware, where I will be beginning a math PhD program at the University of Delaware. So... I am very nervous about that. I'm basically anxious about it 24-7 because I don't know how it's going to go. And I don't know if I'm going to do well in it. But, you know, I'm going to give it the old college try, quite literally, (laughs) and hopefully come out fine on the other side. In terms of food, you know. Andy, you you'd be proud. Maybe you wouldn't be proud of me. I don't know if you'd be proud of me for this,
0: but I'm always proud of you, Paul.
1: Thank you, Andy. There were multiple times in Denver where a buffalo chicken, buffalo chicken was an option, and I said, "You know what? I'm going to try something else." And I tried something different. So, I've been straying away from the buffalo chicken only because I realized I was maybe limiting myself in what I was trying. I still love it, but you know what? I branched out a little bit.
0: Well, I can't wait to. We have not recorded the the food bonus episode yet, so I can't wait to hear how that worked out for you, Paul.
1: Spoiler alert: worked out pretty good.
0: <laughs> very nice, very nice. Are you are you trying to break that Guinness Book of World Records of eating raw tofu in a day, Paul?
1: You know, I haven't been eating as much raw tofu only because, Gasp. oh, only because, I, like in in the midst of all my moving. And and all this stuff that's going on in my life right now, I haven't had enough time to make a funny video about me eating raw tofu. And there have been occasions where I'm like, <laughs> I've been preparing something that has tofu in it, and I'll I'll slip a couple pieces in there just to be like for for old times' sake, and also because there was extra tofu. But have not been eating as much raw tofu.
0: If you can't make a funny video about it, what's even the point, Paul? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, that's about that's basically what's going on in my life.
0: All right. Well, with that, thank you, Mary, for that question. Let's get on to our regularly scheduled mailbag.
1: All right. So, our next question comes from Instagram from K underscore Harley, who asked, Beyond or Impossible Burger?
0: You know, Paul, when I first tried the Impossible Burger, I thought, clearly this blows the Beyond Burger out of the water. But I think I have since changed my position on that. Uh oh. Here's the reason why. I think the Beyond Burger is always good. I've never had it bad. Some people prepare it a little better than others, but it's pre-seasoned to to taste great. Whereas the Impossible Burger, I guess much like the actual flesh of an animal, comes, I'm assuming, very unseasoned, and it really lives or dies on the preparation. So Mm I have had some great Impossible Burgers, and I've had some very subpar Impossible Burgers. And I guess just for, for price and accessibility as well, I'm going to have to say I would – I feel like I could eat the Beyond Burger more often than the Impossible Burger. The Impossible Burger sits with me for a very long time. Interesting. Interesting. What do you think?
1: So I've had – the first time I had the Impossible Burger was at that, that event on Randall's Island in New York City from that one food vendor. Bear so Burger. It, Bear Burger. Bear Burger. But it was like not at an actual restaurant. It was like a food booth where they were obviously, you know, preparing them very they had to pump them out very quickly. And I remember being like, Wow, this is really good. I didn't know at the time whether I was like, this is better than the Impossible Burger. I think I was being subtly influenced by Andy, who had told me that it blew the Beyond Burger out of the water at that <laughs> point in time. And and so I was like, Yeah, this is really good. But the only other times I've had the Impossible Burger since are at White Castle, where I've had it a couple times, and because, like Andy said, it all comes down to how the how the people prepare it. I think that the people at White Castle just aren't used to having to really cook something like on a, <laughs> on their own. And this is not a dig at, at White Castle, but like they're getting, I'm assuming they're getting their 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 fleshy normal white castle burgers they're just getting them kind of pre-made and and i feel like all they're really doing is heating them up for the most part and now they have to like form the patty and cook the patty themselves and the two times i've had it at white castle i've been like this is good but it's not great yeah and of course i can't compare it to the normal the, the the typical white castle burger at this point in time but I it's still imagine, <laughs> yeah, I imagine it's much better than the, than the average White Castle burger. But at the same time, like I had the Beyond Burger yesterday and, and I was like, this is, it's like you said, Andy, it's, it's like you can, it's reliable. You, I think I'm, I'm always going to like the Beyond Burger. And I did have the Beyond Burger in Denver one time too. Also liked it, spoiler alert, for that bonus episode. So I, I need to have the Impossible Burger at a better location, but I think I also have to side with Andy with Beyond Burger.
0: Yeah, and that, that for me, that judgment is just in terms of my personal preference because I, I do think that the Impossible Burger has way more potential to please a non-vegan when it's prepared well and to quote unquote fool them and get them thinking that it's like just the same as actual meat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, all right, our next question comes to us from Instagram from RGCJK, who asked, "When will long beards be back in style, Paul?"
1: You know, Andy, for the longest time, I was like, "I'm long beard all the way." I, I'm like always going to have this long beard. It was it was a part of my brand. Like all the all the kids at school <laughs> loved my long beard. But recently, and I'm talking within the last few months, I've been like, "This is getting a little bit unruly," and I think it's also because I don't spend a lot of time. Like shaping my beard so it kind of just looks very s- scraggly, but I've been rocking the the tr- the neatly trimmed beard, and saying uh, I I I must admit that I think I like it a little bit better than the long beard. So I apologize to this Instagram user, but I feel like short beards are the hot thing right now, and I don't know when long beards are going to be back in.
0: Well, Paul, I have to say you look very handsome with that short sheared beard. <laughs> Thank you, short, short shearing beard. I can't speak. <laughs> my my response is i don't think long beards ever went out of style i think it's always a classic look
1: all right (laughs) shall we move on to the next email let's do it shell emailed in first would you prefer that a beardo that has already said howdy at an event sometime not say anything again or are you comfortable with someone dropping by again at another event elsewhere my apologies for the terribly awkward phrasing of this question but that should give you great insight into why i'm asking this Second, I would like to make a donation to the podcast, but I don't have a credit or debit card, so donating online is not possible for me. Is there another way to donate besides PayPal or through Patreon? Hmm.
0: Interesting question. So the first question is referring to the fact that I, and sometimes Paul, will be at various vegan events, VegFests. I, of course, have my, my little vegan clothing line, Compassion Company, so I'm all over the country, touting my wares, and uh, always inviting <laughs> Beardos to come up and say hello and say, what's up, Beardo, I'll give you a button and a sticker. Uh, I I always announce the, like, the next month's worth of dates at the end of an episode, so that's what Shell is referring to. I am totally cool with people saying hi more than once. I think just understand that uh, I meet a billion people, and sometimes I might not recognize everyone, and I always feel horrible about that, but... Feel free to come say what's a beard and be like, hey, we met the last time or, you know, y- you said this or, you know, whatever it is, you know. So just just be understanding of that. And I'm more than happy to to greet, you know, there's some beers that come by and we always have a long conversation every single time. And it's really cool when you start to form friendships like that. So, uh, yeah, whatever you are comfortable with. But uh, just know that I am also, I, too, am an awkward human being. So don't worry about that <laughs> whatsoever. As far as the second question, Paul, I hadn't really thought about that i suppose if someone wanted to do a donation that's not via the internet they could hand us cash at an event <laughs> or a check uh, I, I suppose someone could physically mail something to one of us but i feel like eh, whatever you know but if you i guess if you want to hand us money that's cool <laughs> what do you think
1: yeah, I guess I. I it it for some reason it feels weirder than <laughs> than like a Patreon donation or something like that. I feel like I'm doing something bad.
0: <laughs> Send me a money order, <laughs> written out <laughs> to cash. So
1: I definitely want to. I definitely want to re re emphasize what Andy said though. I have like the world's worst memory, and that especially goes with with people. And I just like cannot remember people. So if you happen to see me at an event. I I sincerely apologize if I'm like, it's very nice to meet you, and then you're like, no, we talked yesterday, and I'm like, oh, shoot.
0: I'm your brother. <laughs> Rob? <laughs> All right. So that's that. Thank you, Shell. Yeah, no, it's it's always awesome to meet to meet all the Beardos out there. It's really cool. It's cool to know, like we know, we see we have some some download statistics and all that kind of stuff, but it's always nice to feel like we're not just shouting into the void. So it's really cool when we actually meet yeah. people. It's really cool when we actually get emails from, from everyone. So all of those things really sort of make our day when they do happen. So thank you, Shell, for stopping yeah. by. And you can stop by the table any old time all right (laughs) we had a few people ask us this next question paul so we we got an email from Teresa f and then also Taoba underscore xinol asked on instagram "Uh, i have kind of a fun slash silly question but what is your mbti i'm just curious it's not because i like to put people in boxes but i think it's a fun thing to do like zodiac signs smiley face also greetings from germany i really love your podcast especially the outtakes at the end (laughs) <laughs> that's also my favorite part of our whole podcast, Paul. <laughs> Someday I want to go through and actually just make a compilation of all of the bloopers. So for anyone that's not familiar, MBTI stands for Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, which is a personality test that sort of measures how you interact with the world. Would you say that's kind of an accurate descriptor? Yeah, I think so. Like, your your perception of of how you deal with other people, and I don't know. Uh, there's a, a lot of people that love this stuff, and there's other people, when, when people are loving it, like, like, to go, that's bullshit, and it's not proven, and it's the, it's as meaningless <laughs> as Zodiac signs. And I say, whatever, man. It makes you happy. Cool.
1: I, th- I will say, there was, like, a, a point in time pretty originally where I was <laughs> not against Zodiac signs, but, like... I was like confused as to why, like, it, there seems to be a resurgence—at least from what I see in social media—there seems to be a resur- resurgence in people our age, Andy, that are really into zodiac signs, and I was confused about it. But I've since just kind of been like, like you said, I've been like, you know what? If this doesn't hurt anyone, then what? Why should I care? About
0: yeah, it? and you know, I feel like. I have read essays on why the Myers-Briggs personality type thing is totally meaningless, but I feel like it's based on something way more than the Zodiac signs. Like you're actually answering questions and getting an amalgam of like how people feel about certain things. So, you know, whatever, like, again, I don't care. I think the Myers-Briggs thing is, is interesting and, and fun to, to think about and, And seeing how how whoever is put together whatever is saying, oh, these these types interact like this and do this. And I don't know. I find it interesting. So, Paul, Mm -hmm. did you take this test last night when I asked you?
1: No, I had actually taken it like a month ago because someone else had asked
0: me. Gotcha. Okay. So, Paul, the big reveal. What is your type?
1: My type is the INFJ-T, which is also known as the Advocate,
0: Andy. Ah, very nice. So, you know, Paul, I've taken this test many times over my life, and every single time I got INFJ, except last night I decided to retake it, and I got INFP-T. dash hmm.
1: Do we know what the difference is between that J? and Because I'm the J, and you used to be the J, and now you're the P.
0: Yeah, I looked it up, and I totally forgot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say this, for in terms of mine, there was a lot of mine, especially like the introvert extrovert one where I was like on the fence for some of them because it kind of gives you a scale like how introverted are you versus how extroverted. And I think for that one, I was like 60% introvert, uh, 40% extrovert. So some of them were very on the cusp for me.
0: Yeah. I believe when I took the test last night, I was 80% introvert. That checks out. Checks out. Totally checks out. (laughs) Okay. So the J and the P. J means our judging function, either thinking or feeling is tuned to the outside world and P means that our perceiving function, either sensing or intuition is oriented to the outside world, whatever that means. (laughs) Well, I'm a J and you're a P now, Andy. Yeah. I'm stuck in this box forever.
1: (laughs) I will say, I think that one thing that is potentially beneficial about this sort of thing is someone could do this and then kind of, because it's based on these questions that you're answering, you could use it to like, reflect on yourself and how you are and like, oh, this is like, I, this makes sense because like I am like this and I I, I feel like it it could help people understand themselves better that are like confused about different aspects of their life and like why they're like a certain way. Why are you like this? Because I'm a J Andy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think, I think INFJ is the most rare of the personality types and INFP is apparently 3%. So you're even less than that, but I still feel like I'm in the the J category, but whatever. <laughs> All right, let's move on, Paul.
1: All right, next question from Life of C1 asked on Instagram. I know Andy mentioned being straight edge in older episodes. Curious as to whether this had any influence from veganism. And then another question from the same user: Have you created a bug episode yet?
0: All right, so so second question first: Have you created a bug episode yet? Not yet. We're it's in the. We're, we did the hunt. We did the bee. We talked about the bees. I, no, but this person specifically we said last time we did the mailbag we said we got a lot of bug questions and we were going to do a bug mm. episode.
1: What if we just review a Bug's Life the movie and that's our bug episode?
0: <laughs> yeah, we could just do that. That's th- that's what this person's probably asking about. So, not yet. You know, I feel like we have we have episodes, Paul, where we quickly find a topic and then figure out a way to explore it, and then we have ones where we're like doing a lot of research. And the research episodes happen when both of us have a lot of extra time in our lives. And Mm -hmm. that has not been the case recently, Mm -hmm. at least not since the last mailbag episode. But it's definitely on the radar. We're putting one together, slowly but surely. Uh, First question. So Straight Edge, for those that are not familiar, Straight Edge is just sort of a, a way of living that is sober, it's drug-free, um, straight-edge different than sobriety in that there's kind of like a punk and hardcore connotation to it, perhaps a political bent to it for some people. For me personally, I, I've basically always been straight-edge since as long as I knew that was a term that I could apply to myself with a few small exceptions here and there. But it, yes, yeah, it's just always just been a thing that's the way that I am. I've never had any like struggles with it. I just never really cared to get drunk or drinker smoke or any of that stuff. And so it's really less of any kind of like a political stance for me so much as a, I just don't want to do that stuff. Uh, there's a lot of, I think, really good, great ethical and political reasons to not do it, but it almost feels dishonest for the for me to apply those to myself because I just don't have the desire to do those things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's that's just sort of always been the way that I am. So so the, the veganism did not come out of straight edge or vice versa, but I do... I do love that XVX, (laughs) Paul. I'll
1: I'll say, so I, like, Straight Edge was a big part of my identity when I was in high school and college. And while I agree with Andy that I don't think one influenced the other, for me, they did both come out of going to punk and hardcore shows. Like, that's where I learned about both of those things. So they're definitely, for me, related to each other. Although I think, you know... one of the the huge differences is that straight edge for for me has always been or was always like a more personal thing whereas veganism is like this this affects beings outside of myself
0: yes definitely and i think that there are some good arguments to be made about you know the the like drugs and alcohol that people consume how they affect others i think specifically i've seen talk people talking about you know, drugs that come from Mexico and people supporting that are supporting all these horrible things, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I have also always had that same kind of inclination, Paul, that I was like, strayage is, is a thing for me and I don't care to try and convince other people that it needs to be a thing for them. You know, I don't I don't choose to spend my time sitting in bars or, or going to places where alcohol or drugs are a huge part of What's going to happen in whatever particular place, whereas veganism, I'm like, I want to convince every person in the world to be vegan.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I think you could you could advocate for the human rights issues that you were just kind of alluding to separate from advocating for straight edge.
0: Yeah. 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 I think it, if if it is something like, oh, these drugs come from Mexico and that causes X, Y, Z to happen. You could abstain from those particular drugs, but not every drug, and it's not like yeah. a necessary thing. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, like someone could make their own their own moonshine, Paul, and it would be devoid of any issues. But maybe that's like the uh, local humane free range moonshine,
1: <laughs> that bathtub gin. That's funny.
0: All right, let's move on.
1: All right, so Melissa C. emailed in with two questions. A lot of two a lot of two parters today. A lot of two parters, tupers one is it wrong to hope the lone star tick bites hundreds of people
0: let's yeah before we move to the second part the second question which is totally unrelated let me respond to that so paul we have talked about this lone star tick in a previous episode i it was i feel like it was a while ago maybe it was even a year ago and this is a tick where if someone bites it it gives them an allergy to essentially red meat it's the if you remember the alpha gal do you remember that paul
1: I think so, yeah.
0: I was I was like rereading up on it. And I was remembering thinking that alpha gal would be like a great like compliment for someone back in like the 50s. Like she's a, <laughs> she's a real alpha gal. <laughs> uh but I've seen a resurgence in people posting about this, so I felt like, yeah, let's let's answer this question. So, this was my response before, Paul, which was This gives people an allergy only to mammals, essentially. So it does not give them an allergy to eating chicken or fish. And my opinion was that hoping people get this is essentially asking for more animals to die. Because my assumption would be if someone said someone learned that they could no longer eat like cow's flesh they would say okay i will eat more chicken now or eat more fish now and so if that's the case that actually means the number of animals that are being killed for food would actually go up and so i thought it was a net negative and then i know we had a conversation that was essentially like it's kind of messed up to wish this affliction upon someone yeah but reading new articles about this i saw that a few of them included that this would also cause an allergy to cow's milk not just their flesh hmm which I don't know if that changes anything for you.
1: Well, I'm I'm wondering like, would my opinion change if this caused someone to like? Because I know it's you know it's being touted as like the vegan tick type thing, which it's not. <laughs> but what if it was like? What if it did cause people to be allergic to all animal products? I know that now it sounds like a science fiction thing, but I'm just thinking in my mind like. I'm thinking of like the plot of a science fiction movie where one day everyone woke up and for no reason everyone was allergic to all animal products. And like, I wouldn't, I'd be like, great, this is awesome. Now we're not gonna, we're no longer gonna eat animal flesh or consume animal products. And yes, there are other ways that we're still gonna be abusing animals, but numbers wise, the amount of animals being. Abused and slaughtered is going to be reduced by the the billions every year, yeah. and I and I can't think that I would be against that, you know. So I'm thinking a bit about this, like even though something in my gut and it's no Lone Star tick, Andy, but something <laughs> in my gut still wants to say like it's wrong to wish this upon people. But at the same time, I'm like, if it truly caused people to go vegan, w- why would I be against it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the only situation, and if there was the vegan tick that I would feel conflicted about it, was if that tick bit someone that has like an intense amount of food allergies already, like they have yeah. a soy allergy and a nut allergy and, and, and this, and then it would just be incredibly hard for them to find something to eat and survive. I think that would be bad. Or if it bit someone that was in an area that had way less access to mm-hmm. to, you know, non. Animal based foods. I think that would complicate things, but you know, I think for the most part, I feel like I'd be for that tick.
1: <laughs> for that
0: tick. For that tick. And then I also saw, so someone posted about this and I, I responded saying, well, actually, if it does, if it means that they could still eat chicken and fish, then you know, everything I just said. And they said that they thought that if someone truly loved the taste of like a cow's flesh, like in a burger, that that would inspire them to go out and try vegan alternatives. Like, they wouldn't just go, I'll eat chicken now. They would say, I'm going to go try a Beyond Burger, which, I Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I don't know if people would turn to that, but what do you think?
1: I think it depends on the person. Yeah. I I think, for the most part, they would probably just switch to the other animal products, because, I don't know, I like... Yeah, people are, like, really into bacon, but I don't think it's really, like, the taste of bacon people like. I think it's just the idea of bacon that people like. and But it's the same thing with, like, hamburgers and stuff like that. I don't think people are I, – I feel like there are few people that are so obsessed with, like, oh, I love eating cow's flesh hamburgers so much that if they've had an allergy to this – I I think they would go to, like, a chicken burger rather than a vegan burger. That would be their first thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's my inclination because I feel like that's sort of shifting to something they know versus the unknown. Yeah. But but who knows, Paul? I don't know.
1: you don't know. (laughs) Shall we move on to the next? Oh, there's the second part. There's the second part of this question. Yeah. So Melissa C. also asked, When are you going to do another movie review? I'm anxious to hear your thoughts about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And just saw an article today with PETA weighing in on the themes and messages of the film. Your thoughts?
0: Well, Melissa, you are in luck because Paul and I have both seen Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And Mm -hmm. we are planning to make that our July Patreon bonus review. So look for that in probably a week or two.
1: Yeah. And, And spoiler alert. Not really. It's actually not a spoiler alert at all. More of a teaser is that I also had a, a related experience while I was in Denver that I think ties nicely into some of the potential themes of Jurassic World. So it's going to be I think it's going to be a little bit more than just a Jurassic World review.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a little more a little more in depth than that. So it should be a good one. Look out for that. We'll be sure to announce that when it actually becomes available And I think we'll actually get that one out on time, Paul.
1: Yeah, because we've both seen it.
0: (laughs) We've seen it already. we just got to record it. All right. Our next email comes from Mindy W., who asks, What, in your guys' opinion, are the most basic no-prep or minimal prep, cheap and simple go-to meals? I'm talking bananas and peanut butter for breakfast or french fries for lunch my favorite lunch things that are super simple whole foods no special ingredients required basic meals for breakfast lunch and dinner what would be your top 10 list of basic grab and go vegan meals i'm basically at a point where i've got so many amazing recipes i want to try but most require something i don't have yet i'm super broke at the moment and and acquiring new special ingredients is slow going in the meantime i'm trying to be frugal and have a hard time not eliminating animal products because i'm so used to eating meals that do I'm hoping your list will inspire me just to see how simple and easy I can make it. Thanks. So Paul, this is this is not the type of question that we normally ask. You know, there's there's so many great sort of how to go vegan vegan starter podcasts out there. Mm-hmm. But I know that we do have a lot of new vegans or aspiring vegans on the show and thought, "Hey, we could we could list a couple of options." So I know that your favorite simple go-to meal is that raw tofu, but... <laughs> that raw tofu.
1: Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think I can list my top 10 because I think I literally only make about three or four things ever. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to list those three or four things because they are all very easy to make. So number one, as Andy already pointed out, definitely that raw tofu. Give it a shot. Don't, don't discredit it until you try it. <laughs> Eating raw tofu. I will say this, the quickest of all the meals that I'm going to list right now. But... If you don't like eating straight raw tofu, for the past week when I was in Denver, what I did for basically all my lunches was I would just take tofu, cut it up into some relatively thin slices, just season one side of it with like paprika, uh, turmeric, chili powder, cayenne pepper, and then just spray a pan and and fry it. You know, a couple few minutes on each side. There you go. It's like a lightly seasoned tofu. It's good in a sandwich or I just ate it on its own, but it's good in a sandwich (laughs) with like a little bit of mayo, some lettuce or hot sauce or something like that. Maybe some mustard. It's like a breakfast sandwichy type thing. So that's a, that's a good easy one. Probably takes 15 minutes. Most my number two, this is the second most often made thing that I make, which is this like Buffalo chickpea dish where it's literally just you pour out a can of chickpeas, you mash them up with a fork, or I guess you could like food process them, but I just mash them. I just have a, a large fork that I mash them up with. And then you just add a scoop of your favorite vegan mayo, add some Buffalo sauce and mix it up. You could put in like onion and garlic powder if you want to. And I use it, it's a It's technically it's like a dip, but I usually just eat it with my giant fork that I use to mash up. <laughs> And then my last one, my number three. I guess this one's a little more involved, but for my, for me, it's a little more involved. But I've said this. I've said this recipe on the show like dozens of episodes ago. But it was this mac and cheese recipe. Super simple mac and cheese. You just you know make your pasta, and then while you're making your pasta, you in like a little saucepan, just throw a little bit of daya, throw a little bit of earth balance butter. Pour in some almond milk, pour in a, a butt ton of nutritional yeast and melt it all together, mix it all together. And it makes this really good cheese sauce. And then once the pasta's done, just pour it over the pasta and you got yourself mac and cheese, baby.
0: That all kind of sounds like more work than what 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 uh, Mindy is looking for, Paul. Really? Like grab and go.
1: But I'm I, like that. the Buffalo chickpea takes. I mean, I've I've mastered it at this point from eating it almost every day sometimes twice a day takes like 10 minutes max all
0: right fair enough fair enough i feel like i have (laughs) really boring answers but honestly peanut butter and jelly is is a sandwich that if i'm like just out and about and you know i live in my van i don't have refrigeration and making peanut butter and jelly is so quick and so easy and filling for me i also keep a lot of soylent on hand Nice. It's, you know, which is just this sort of meal in a bottle kind of thing. And I always try and have like a case or two with me at all times. And that way, when I do get hungry, I can just drink one of those. I'm I actually just finished drinking one right before we recorded. So I, I think that you don't, you know, we are not sponsored by Soylent. You don't have to get Soylent. But I think <laughs> finding things like that, like Amber Nights and other brand that I will use and... Having things like that around can help you reduce your your cravings if you are finding that you are just so used to eating animal-based foods and just having something like that around can really help out. I know for me, it prevents me from getting hangry to just be able to like, grab a soil and, and drink it if I feel like I'm starting to get really hungry, but I know it'll be a while before I get to eat or... I just, like, I need some actual brain fuel to figure out what I want to eat, you know? Like, you ever get in that position where you're just so hungry that you can't decide what to eat? That prevents that from happening. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like when you've been vegan for a while, you just sort of get comfortable in, in a couple of really boring, simple options. And I don't know. That's just what happens for me. Let's move on. So,
1: next email from Jennifer B., I'm in Kansas City, and while there is not a ton of vegan activism here, one of the common ones is truck stop vigils when animals are being transported. I regularly see these things advertised where the point is to, quote, bear witness and to give the animals some loving human interaction before their lives are ended. While I completely understand wanting to give these poor animals some much needed water, I question how helpful or safe it is for people to just be poking their arms in and pawing at the animals. I would imagine many of these animals have had very limited human interaction or have had terrible experiences with humans. Would this not possibly traumatize them even more? My thoughts go to rescue dogs who are terrified of human touch because they were neglected or abused their entire lives and the time it takes for them to actually trust and appreciate our affection. It just feels like these events are more for the people to feel like they are doing something good than actually doing good. Am I maybe missing something? I would love to hear your thoughts.
0: Great question, Jennifer. (laughs) Uh, Paul, I know that we've talked at least, two or three times in various episodes about these vigils that happen. Never mm-hmm. never a main episode, but I think that we've we've had we've had opinions about this before. And I tend to share Jennifer's thoughts here that they seem more about the humans than the animals. And I know that we saw footage at the Animal Rights Conference last year of some animal vigils. And, and that kind of turned both of our opinions around a little bit. Like we were, we were more open to them after that, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It was moving. Yes, definitely like a very moving thing. And so we've talked about it from sort of an efficacy standpoint before, but I don't think we ever talked about what Jennifer mentions here, which is that it probably would be pretty scary for these animals. You know, they've, they've spent their whole life learning to fear, and expect pain to come from any human interaction. And they've just been on this long traumatic transportation situation. And then all of a sudden they're swarmed by activists who are spraying water at them. And putting their hands in and poking cameras in. And I don't know if they're loud or not. But I, 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 I if I was an animal in that situation and I had just been taught this human comes around and it's going to make me hurt that I would be really terrified if, if these, if like a swarm of humans came and sometimes it's just a handful of people. And sometimes you have ones like after like the animal rights conference where apparently you get like 400 people to go out and do these vigils. And I imagine that would be pretty terrifying for an animal.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's weird that I don't think we've ever talked about that. We, We never thought about that aspect of it, Andy, but I, I also do have to agree with Jennifer and just to kind of, reiterate what our our some of our initial opinions on these sorts of things was I, I think my initial skepticism was that a lot of times since slaughterhouses are so isolated these this sort of activism is is the only non-vegans that are going to see it are the slaughterhouse workers and the the truck drivers basically whereas different types of activism you know it's like are more public so you're you're reaching out to the general public so that was my initial kind of critique of this sort of activism but it's it's weird because it's definitely like it's growing I feel like it's only growing and I'm only at least the people that I'm following on Instagram it's like I'm only seeing more and more people doing this sort of thing and I do wonder how effective it is at getting people to change their mind about veganism or and I also now another thing I wonder now is what Jennifer wrote in which is is it possibly not great for the animals even though it's being framed as like this is something good for these animals like that's that framing is coming from the activists that are doing it. it's obviously it's not coming from the animals so I don't know maybe it is traumatic maybe it's not traumatic for them it's hard to tell
0: yeah, yeah. And to the point where where you bring up that it, you know, often slaughterhouses are a little more isolated, I think the argument against that point is that, well, that's why they do so much social media around these vigils, because it creates videos that then get shared. And so maybe you're not reaching a lot of people at the vigil, but the footage getting shared around is something that will reach a lot of people. Yeah. And... I guess my response to that is I don't know how many non-vegans are watching those videos that are getting shared by the vegan activists in their lives. Like I'm sure there's some, but my inclination would be that most of those videos are getting shared by vegans and their vegan friends are watching them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's I, that's like, I can't imagine, you know how there's some, like some people that have these, like they have Instagram accounts that are just so much graphic animal footage on their Instagram. Like I, I, I feel like they must not have, uh, like if I was not vegan, I don't know why I would watch that. Yeah. I mean, I'm vegan and I don't know why I would want to be like, be subjected to that all the time.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. And yeah, I don't, you know, I don't want to harp on the vigils for too long, but I do want to talk about Jennifer's final point a little bit, which is, saying that it feels like they're more for the people doing it than the actual good that they're doing. And I mean, I agree with that. I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with showing animals a bit of kindness after they've had such a brutal life, but it seems like the vigils are often along with sort of the, the cube of truth, I guess is one of the the preferred places for people to get social media done. And, and people like, a lot of the people we were discussing in our episode about whether or not activists should get paid, whether they should have Patreons and things like that. It's like one of those preferred places for them to get footage that helps them get views to get more Patreon donors. And it just, it feels weird when these vigils are happening and people are taking selfies and talking about what's going on. And it almost like detracts, like the animals are just sort of the set dressing to what's actually happening.
1: Yeah. I, I I think I agree with you that both of those things definitely do get good footage i will say i think it's maybe i'm more hopeful when the footage is like oh we had this conversation with this slaughterhouse worker or this truck driver like because it's like again i feel like the 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 good when there's these good conversations happening with the general non-vegan public i feel like that's that's when we're gonna see more vegans or hopefully a growth in veganism. So I feel like if the vigils can cause a lot of those conversations that were, you know, like those are the types of things that we sometimes see on YouTube and stuff, then I guess that's good. If they're actually changing their minds about that. Obviously when you frame it like animal activist versus slaughterhouse worker, it's definitely this like very inflammatory and divisive way of advertising it because that's going to be very clickbaity yeah but but i don't know who's to say
0: yeah i i I agree an activist that i respect i once saw them say that the vigils are sort of the thoughts and prayers of the the vegan movement (laughs) and i feel like it's gonna piss off a lot of people to hear that but i i think i mostly agree with that yeah So interesting. Let's leave it at send your emails to the beard (laughs) at (laughs) gmail.com. All right. Our next question comes from Brenton P who emails in, Hey beardos. I work in an office where someone repeatedly cooks bacon in the office break room. The smell or stench lingers throughout the office. Is it acceptable to complain about this to management for them? It probably doesn't rise to the level of hostile work environment. But for me, the only vegan in the office, it's offensive. Maybe they don't realize it and no one else cares. What advice would you give in this scenario? So, Paul, I put this question to you because I have not been in an office setting (laughs) in basically ever. So (laughs) I feel like you as as a teacher would probably be more likely to be in a situation like this. So what do you think?
1: Honestly, I think I would probably personally... I think it depends on your personality. We can go back to our personality types up there. But I personally would start off by just being like – just framing it from a like this is very – smell, like it it has a very strong smell and any really strong smell can be distracting or or aggravating in a workplace. So I think – Initially that's where I would come from if I were if I were to lodge a complaint or if I just would were to go up and talk to the person. Obviously the person that's doing this might know that you are vegan and they might say like oh you're just doing this because you're the vegan. But I think I would first try to come at it from the angle of like hey this like very very smelly thing is distracting my work. I would like a you know like I would appreciate it if you if you could not do that or maybe cook something that didn't smell so much somehow but i don't know for for me I, I don't think i would bring the vegan thing into it i would try to avoid bringing the vegan thing into it because i think that would just incite people to respond with like oh you're just being the like the the quote crazy vegan and you're just being over dramatic about it so I, I would avoid that but that's just me
0: yeah, that's a good point. I think that the fact that anyone's cooking something that smells horrible or, or or like creates this smell that dissipates through the whole office, that alone is a reason to lodge a complaint. Not yeah, you know, it's not offensive. I mean, it's offensive because it's the the dead flesh of an animal that didn't want to die, but it's not solely offensive because of that. It's just offensive because it's a, a horrible smell and like say someone. I don't know, microwaved Brussels sprouts every day. And if that like filled the office with the smell of Brussels sprouts or something like that, it would be rightful for someone to complain, even though that's not the dead body of someone. So I I think that you have totally reasonable grounds to, to complain, but don't approach like as a vegan, this is offensive to say (laughs) this smells really bad. Can we put a stop to that?
1: Yeah. You're not working in a lush office. It doesn't smell like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Great answer, Paul. Okay. So. We're about halfway through this episode, probably. And before we move on, we need to thank our Patreon donors. So these are everyone that support us for as little as a dollar a month over at thebeardvegans.com slash Beardo. And we've had a a bunch sign up since we last recorded, Paul. So uh, we want to give a huge, huge thank you and shout out to Tasman A. Mel P. Rachel W. Adele M. Your Nea T, Lisa J, Mary P, and Carlo G. We know Carlo. We know Carlo. Yeah, shout out to V Marks the Shop. They're about to have a physical location in Philly,
1: and can't wait to not be there for the opening.
0: Oh. <laughs> Yeah. But I'll
1: only be I'll only be a a short fifty minute drive away, so I'll definitely be stopping there.
0: Yeah, V Marks the shop gonna be. They do a lot of the the pop ups. They put on events in Philly, and they'll just be at like Veg Fest. But you know they're like a a, a vegan market, and I get all my intel on the latest Louisville vegan jerky from Carlo. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely a great place and, and really fantastic people to support if you're looking for a place to get all your your specialty vegan products from. And we also got a one-time PayPal donation from Jasmine A, who sends that all the way from Berlin, Germany.
1: Woo, nice.
0: Yeah, so, so thank you very much to everyone that does that. And, you know, all, all of the donations go to making the podcast more sustainable and more accessible. And, you know, we, we mentioned we recently got some new equipment and that's really awesome. And so if you want if you want to get in on this action, just go to the beardvegans.com slash Beardo. You can get all of our bonus episodes. You can get early access to episodes. You can get merchandise out of the whole thing. So, yeah, thank you to everyone that, that has helped us out with that.
1: Still pronouncing Berlin like Berlin, Andy. <laughs>
0: Berlin. You Berlin, bro? <laughs> all right.
1: So this next email comes to us from Nina D, who asked, I was recently in Monterey, California, where I found a 4.7-star vegan Mexican restaurant on Yelp. Q angel singing. I went there with several friends with all the hopes and dreams of any hungry vegan that has been road-tripping for several hours. <clears throat> after. after receiving four very different dishes we were highly disappointed and could not fathom the high star rating on yelp and other restaurant review websites this led me to the question of do you think vegans rate vegan restaurants higher due to the limited availability of choices and with the hopes of persuading non-vegans to try a vegan restaurant
0: This is a good question. I have to say that I'm pretty sure I know which restaurant Nina's talking about. I have not personally been there, but it has been recommended to me by two other people whose taste I I highly respect. So (laughs) it makes me sad to hear this assessment from Nina. And now you disrespect their tastes. Yeah. Yeah. Must, I think we have to duel now, right? <laughs> <laughs> Carrots at dawn or something. <laughs> so I think yes. I'm I'm trying to think on like my you know experience rating things. I'm not a prolific yelper, but I try to give a, a good, honest review when I think it's something that needs it, and it's hard. It's hard to give something less than five stars because. Even even if it's not the most amazing experience, but you feel like they put a lot of effort into the meal, or you know, it's like it's like how do you judge? Like you can't compare a place like Modern Love to a place like uh, like a, a vegan hot dog cart or something like that. Like they could both be five star experiences, but they offer totally different things. So yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it is. I find that if I don't like a place, I'm I don't want to write a review for it. Like I want to give praise to the places that I do really like. And but I do find that, yeah, vegans, I think, are prone to giving really good ratings to things because they want other people to try it. I think another factor is oftentimes a lot of people that don't this will sound like really pretentious, Paul, but like people that don't (laughs) travel and eat at lots of vegan places often, depending on the area, unless they're like in a a vegan Mecca, they often only have their one or two or, or three vegan spots in town. And when it's all they know, I feel like they don't really have a lot to compare it to. So, like, I'll travel through somewhere, and and someone will be like, "You have to go here. It's the most amazing place ever. You have to get their Reuben." And I go, and I'm like, "This is fine, you know." But it's like it's all they know, so maybe that's why it gets a five star review.
1: And I think also it's like if that's all that they have, they probably go there a lot and and make like connections with the restaurant. Like it 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 means more to them than someone like you, Andy, who's just, you know, traveling through and you're like, oh, I guess I'll stop at this random place. It has more significance to them.
0: Yeah. And I think that this was kind of a a theme of like our early like super early episodes was essentially that it's it's our duty, I think, to give honest feedback about things that are vegan. Because if, as vegans, we act like everything that's vegan is amazing, then we do a disservice because if you're like, oh my god, the day of shreds are the best cheese in the world, and then someone that's not vegan tries them expecting it to be the exact same as the non-vegan version of that cheese shred they're going to be disappointed. But I think if we're like, you know, Dea is, it it has its function. It's good if you use just a little bit of it or mix it in with your cheese sauce. And, you know, it's just all in how you use it. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not so great. And, you know, like if you give an honest review, that gives people good expectations rather than raving about every single vegan item that's on the market.
1: Yeah, yeah. In in responding to this question, I do think that vegans also like holds other vegan food in higher regards like just because it's vegan and and i can think of a few restaurants that are e- that are either like have made changes that i've been like this is not a good change and everyone's like this is the best thing ever like I, i'm so glad about this like i know and what I'm you're like,
0: talking about paul
1: <laughs> and like i don't know like it, it could genuinely be that i just disagreed with this change and other people genuinely love it. But I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes people will wholeheartedly support something just because it's vegan instead of being like, eh, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Yeah. And being honest about it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I also think there's kind of this group think thing that kind of happens or this like going along with the crowd thing where I find that often places get overhyped when, when everyone is like, this is the most amazing place. It almost feels like people feel like they can't have a dissenting opinion about that. And there's this sort of this like tide of opinion that, that goes along and everyone thinks that, you know, this, this particular place is the best, but it's not.
1: Yeah. And, and I actually remember in, there was like this incident. I didn't, I hadn't thought about this for a while. There was this incident in the, in like a vegan group that I was in one time where, someone posted in in the vegan group someone posted like look at this like they they had food delivered from a a vegan restaurant and it like looked so bad like it was very poorly done like very obviously poorly done and they were like lol look how bad this is and it was like there were so many people that came on it was like no you can't like criticize this because like this is what we have as the vegan so it's like don't criticize that but like you were saying Andy, it's like you can like you're allowed to be like this was not done well yeah. and like they should be better than this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So so to answer Nina's question, yes, I think a lot of vegans do give higher ratings and perhaps we should not. <laughs> perhaps not. Perhaps right. not. All right. So we got a really interesting email from Beth Ann who wrote how important do you think it is to have a vegan doctor? I am vegan now nine months in July, but vegetarian for decades. I have recently pondered switching doctors to find a doctor that practices veganism. My daughters are vegetarian and I am seeking help and support to transition their diet to vegan as well. So I'm also wondering how important it is to find a doctor that practices veganism for them. Doctors are very judgmental and often have gasped in shock in the past when saying my family is vegetarian Usually, they sigh in relief when they realize we still eat dairy, I roll. Now that I'm vegan, I honestly don't feel like being intimidated by my doctor. What do you think about this, Paul?
1: So, I think it seems to me that there is not an incredible amount of vegan doctors out there, or at least they are not easily accessible. I would say... If you have one, like, if if there's one within a reasonable distance of you, I would say check them out. Like, but keep in mind, similar to our restaurant, similar to the last question with the restaurants, just because a doctor is vegan doesn't necessarily mean they're a, a good doctor. Like, I think they are more likely to have knowledge about some of those sorts of issues pertaining to veganism. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're a good doctor in for, for every other issue that, that may come up. So I would say if there's one available to you and it's affordable and it's accessible, check them out, like see, see if, if, if they might be a good fit for you. But if you have a non-vegan doctor, you know, that you've been going to for a long time and maybe it's the doctor you've always gone to and it's working for you, then I would say there's no reason not to stick with that doctor maybe if they're like trying to convince you to stop being vegan that might be a sign that you might want to switch doctors but like like it seems like with this doctor and this specific question it, they may seem to have a bias against vegans but i know for instance with my like general physician doctor he was like Oh, like, yeah, you're vegan, so you're probably not going to have a problem with cholesterol, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's like, he didn't make a big deal out of it or anything like that. He seemed to have a moderate knowledge of it, but I don't know. I think it depends on a doctor by doctor basis, but I don't think anyone needs a vegan doctor just because doctors are going to be treating. Uh, A plethora of issues, not necessarily just about your nutrition, although your nutrition could factor into it. But in that case, maybe you would want to see like a nutritionist or someone else that specifically works with how diets affect some of these things. So I don't know. Those are my thoughts on it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's not like I don't think it's an imperative that someone must have a vegan doctor. But I think that if you have someone that's antagonistic towards your veganism, you would want to go elsewhere. I have not been to the doctor in quite some time, except for very recently when I got sick, as I mentioned on the show, like a few episodes ago, and it was due to this, this cough and this sort of like lung issue that I was having. And the doctor recommended that I drink honey for my throat, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and it was just one of those things that was like easy to sort of shrug off because it wasn't like, an it was like, oh, also you could do this thing. You know, so that's like one of those situations where I was like, do I want to tell this doctor that I'm vegan right now, or just just say okay and ignore that advice kind of thing? Yeah. In in a situation like that, it's easy to just be like, I'm not going to do that. So, but if it's a situation where like a really serious condition that you're dealing with, and they say you must eat, you know, red meat or chicken three times, whatever it is, then then maybe and you say, well, I'm vegan, and they're like, well, you can't treat this as a vegan that would be time to look for another opinion, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's like, unfortunately, d- depending on what that condition is, they might not be wrong about that sort of thing. I'm not a doctor, Andy. I don't know all the possible conditions in the world. I'm not a doctor yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean I should not be taking your medical advice right now, Paul?
1: <laughs> not yet. But I, I think that, Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong about that, but I would certainly, if I was in that situation, go for a second opinion elsewhere. Yeah. To hope that they were wrong about it.
0: Yes. (laughs) All right, let's move on. So
1: Jacoby Y emailed in. I'm curious what you guys think will be the next ethical practice to be wed to or woven into veganism. I have seen phrases lately like, quote, plastic is not vegan. And of course, there is palm oil and slave free chocolate and others discussed as well. As of now, though, none of these are assumed as an integral aspect of veganism, but more like an additional ethical practice. Do you feel that something like zero waste or not consuming palm oil, etc. will ever be included in the expectation of or definition of someone's veganism? I'm talking a little more specific than the intersectionality that we all wish more vegans would come around to. With Andy, I know that you advocate for ethically sourced natural fibers in clothing, but I believe that falls under a different umbrella of your ethics, right? I hope this question makes sense.
0: Yeah, this is a pretty interesting question, Paul. I know that you and I, in in addition to the bug episode, we've been wanting to do a zero waste episode. Mm -hmm. And so, hey, maybe that'll happen in the next year or so. (laughs) <laughs> but this is an interesting question because I think some of these issues, especially like the, the the chocolate issue, the slave-free chocolate issue, are things that that a lot of us maybe feel like should be an integral part of veganism. And I remember as, as a younger vegan, when I first started to become aware of all these extra things like palm oil and the chocolate and... And, and, and all of those extra issues that are related to the food that we eat, but not necessarily an, a directly an animal issue. And I remember thinking, like, maybe there should be a new term for someone that is, like, vegan, plus they also try to avoid all of these extra things. And because it felt like veganism wasn't all-encompassing enough. So I personally... As much as we may advocate for other issues, even if they are directly related to, like, the food we eat, uh, you know, like, because when I, when I learned about the chocolate issue from Lauren Ornelas over at Food Empowerment Project, which is uh, definitely check out foodispower.org to get all the info on that. But essentially, a lot of, you know, the majority of chocolate in the world is harvested by slave labor or near-slave labor, and a lot of it is very young children. And... And I was like, oh, this should be a no-brainer for vegans to avoid because that's what we do. We learn that something is bad and then we avoid consuming it. But then I learned that a lot of people are really resistant to that because it makes veganism, quote unquote, harder or it makes it more daunting. And it's already hard enough to get someone to give up animal products. And now you want to throw in certain types of chocolate and, and all of these things as well. So... I don't personally feel like any of these additional like add-ons will ever be universally accepted as being an integral part of veganism for that reason. I think that a lot of people want to lower the bar as much as possible to sort of get people in under the tent, so to speak. And I think we Mm -hmm. see that with the reducitarian thing. Like all of that is about getting as many people under this umbrella as possible And and it's about sort of lowering the bar or maybe even raising raising the bar, I guess, would probably be the the better term there, like making it as easy as possible for people to sort of apply this ethical consumer label to themselves, regardless of how they practice it. Do they eat some animal products? Do they eat no animal products? Whatever it might be. And and I totally I totally get that. Like we want to get people on board. And if they feel like they're part of this movement, they're probably going to be more likely to go full vegan at some point as long as the messaging is on point and is directed towards getting them to go further down the line. So I, so I get that inclination, but because of that, I th- can't imagine a future in which being zero waste is an integral, like no, no questions asked part of veganism. What do you, what do you think, Paul?
1: So I think that like a lot of these issues, like the slave free chocolate, a lot of like maybe they would be considered human issues that but there are related to the, the the food that we're eating. I think that, you know, it's like we don't need to include it in veganism as a part of veganism to still care about it. You know, like I don't think that it needs to be included in that label. That being said, Andy, it is an interesting idea that you put forward to be like to to have a different word that is a different identity for someone that is vegan but also does care about like the human issues like I don't know if that's something that's necessary or needed I mean obviously again I feel like people should just be doing it regardless of whether or not there's a word for it but to answer to answer Jacoby's email I I think that it seems to me zero waste is the current like trending environmental related issue to care about and I don't mean to say that like as if it shouldn't be something that should be cared about because I, I do think that it 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 seems like an important thing for people to care about or at least reducing their waste but I don't think it's going to be incorporated into veganism I think it's just for vegans and non-vegans it's something that is on the rise and i foresee many vegans kind of attaching onto it and adding it onto as a part of their veganism which again it's like i don't think i don't not that i know a tremendous amount about zero waste but i don't see how it could be a bad thing you know yeah Uh, like assuming you know the the stuff that that they are buying I would hope is also ethically sourced from other places so it's like all these issues they do kind of weave into each other but I think not in the way that Jacoby was asking like it's not it's not a part of veganism necessarily to be zero waste it's not a part of human issues to be zero waste but while you're being zero waste I hope you're also being vegan and I hope you're also caring about the human issues and where things are being sourced from
0: yeah, it's like being zero waste doesn't negatively affect any of those other things, and in fact, could potentially enhance those things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like like I, I don't think that you need to be vegan in order to care about other human like rights issues or something. But I think that being vegan enhances your position on those things. I, I don't I don't find that veganism detracts from anyone's engagement in any other particular issue, or at least it doesn't have to.
1: Yeah. It's like, you know, there are all these separate issues and, and in general, we're all just trying to move down that spectrum of compassion. And uh, I was, I almost said zero waste, but like limiting our negative impact on others, both humans and non-humans. And I guess the environment too. So it's like, there's all these different things that we can do, to kind of move ourselves down that spectrum and no one's ever going to be at the complete end because just by existing we are you know affecting other people and we're affecting the planet unfortunately oftentimes negatively but we can try to reduce that as much as possible yeah. we can be reducitarian in, in our <laughs> <laughs> in our negative impact on the world
0: we, we try to be zero negative impact yeah you you know and in terms of like making a new term part of me almost thinks that that would be helpful because i think that sort of this vague practice of i care about humans and therefore i buy you know ethically sourced clothing and this that and the other it it, like there's not there's like a rule book for veganism even though we've talked about how those rules are are flexible in certain regards and I, i think especially that episode we did about anti-capitalist veganism with with Callie and Nicole from Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack. They really talk about how there's not really a discernible line for a lot of people and there's a lot of wiggle room, but there is... In general, I feel like there's a rule book for veganism, and obviously people have different interpretations of it, but it, like, sets out guidelines for, like, what you should probably be doing if you want to apply the term vegan to yourself, and I think it makes it easier for people to, to stick to it and know, like, what is and isn't acceptable under that, that sort of framework, and mm-hmm. if you just are like, I vaguely care about human rights – maybe there isn't a set of rules and people like to have that set of rules and and so maybe having a label that's like i am compassionitarian or whatever and and that means that i don't purchase you know chocolate from slaves and i don't purchase clothing from sweatshops and and all of these things like that might you know, that would probably it would be tough because I think people would constantly be trying to throw additional like issues into it and it'd be hard to figure out what are the initial set of issues that we care about. But it would I think give people they feel like they have more guidance in terms of what they need to do.
1: What about fair trade vegan? I like that term. I'm a fair now. So, I that's the first thing that popped in my head. Like, I'm a fair trade vegan, and I think that would incorporate in chocolate, coffee, clothing, and all that stuff. But when you initially said we need a new term, in my mind, I was trying to think about one that also kind of encapsulated like caring about all human issues like racism and sexism and, and homophobia and transphobia and stuff like that as well. Yeah. And that, that probably wouldn't do that, but maybe it's a place to start.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious to know what, what others think about that, if if they would have a term for that or not. Um, I guess just to, to sort of briefly respond to the last part of Jacoby's email there, which was Andy, I know that you advocate for ethically sourced uh, natural fibers and clothing and believe this falls under a different umbrella of your ethics. Right. So when I, when someone comes to the table at a veg fest and they say, see, see, you know, my sign, this is like vegan apparel. And people say, what makes a t-shirt vegan? And, you know, I explain of course, we don't use any leather or wool or silk in our clothing and the dyes we use are vegan and and the the inks and whatnot. But like your average cotton t-shirt is not coming from an animal. And so I, I tell them that, you know the the vegan label applied to the apparel is the materials, but it applies to the message. It's mostly about the message that is going on the shirt, but that I try to apply the vegan ethic throughout the entire chain of production, which is why I do the sweatshop free and and all of those things and the organic cotton et cetera and and so I, I say that because to me it makes sense. Like, as a vegan, I am trying to be as ethical as possible. And, yes, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, etc. But it's feel <laughs> like I still should try my best to not support the worst of the worst kind of thing. And yeah. so, yeah, I think there would be a lot of people that say, well, that's not really a part of veganism. But for me, it personally is. But Even if I wasn't vegan and I was making clothing, like if I was deciding to do clothing for something else, even, I guess, a band or something at this point, I would still want all of those parameters to be applied to the T-shirt because I feel like that's a part of being a decent human being.
1: It's fair trade vegan, Andy.
0: Can't we just be decent, Paul? (laughs) All right. We have two more to go. Two more to go. I thought this would be a shorter one. I put in less questions than normal, but here we are, Paul. Here we are. <laughs> All right. This one. This one's a really good one. This comes to us from Jess M., who emailed in, I am not a vegan. I live a 95% vegan lifestyle, which means I don't buy products tested on animals. I make my own cleaning supplies. I buy vegan leather, vegan makeup. I've been a supporter of Farm Sanctuary for years, but I'm also a huge supporter, huge in all caps, of buying local and supporting farmers. I understand that vegans believe small family farms who treat their animals well should be convinced to shut down and adopt a lifestyle that doesn't rely on animals, but what does this do for the local food economy? It pushes people who are still going to eat cheese, chicken, beef, pork, etc. to now buy these products from their closest supermarket. It puts more money in the pocket of large conglomerate farms who do all of the horrible things that we should be upset about. I'll never be allowed to call myself a vegan because I do think small farms are okay. I know many family farms who would never, ever, ever use a gestation crate for pigs and will, any day of the week, let you in to see their entire operation. Family farms also provide an opportunity to teach people where their food comes from and this is a step closer to winning people over. That's how I feel anyway. So Paul, this is mm-hmm. this is a good question. I feel like there there's probably a lot of facets to this that we could explore. What are your overall thoughts on this email? Like I guess it's essentially asking us is it bad to oppose local small family farms? that have operations that the average American would consume to uh, consider to be relatively ethical because if they shut down, then people are going to go to the big factory farms. Like that's, I think that's sort of the core of what's going on here. So what do you think about that?
1: Well, I think, I I think I would agree with Jess that we should be supporting local farms and local farmers, but I don't think that necessarily goes hand in hand with saying we need to be supporting local farmers that are also exploiting animals. Like, I think that we can support local farmers in their growing of vegetable fruit and vegetables. And I think how I think I would respond to this email is that because one of the things that Jess said was that vegans are trying to convince small family farms that are exploiting animals to shut down, which then pushes other people to eat uh, meat and animal products from like larger farms. But I know we know from cowspiracy that like, there's no way that we can eat the amount of meat. And I'm talking about the, uh, the United States, the United States can eat the amount of meat. There's no way with just local farms. Like there's, there's just not enough land. There's just not enough production to feed how, how much meat, and how much animal flesh that the United States is eating, let alone the rest of the world, and because of that, I, I feel like it's almost not a fair argument that Jess is making because it's not it's not vegans that are that are forcing non vegans to eat f- food produced in in sla- like large slaughterhouses and stuff like that. It's just the fact that people are eating these products is what's making them have to have these. Like the demand for these products is such that. There's no way that we could just have small local farms. And of course, I think Jess could also make the argument that if if everyone went vegan, we would still have this problem because I imagine we probably wouldn't just have local farms and local farmers producing all the fruits and vegetables and, and vegan food we would like because of the demand for it we would probably also have to have these bigger agricultural facilities which i think is an issue and and does cause other issues that we should care about but i don't think that that's an argument like, like the one that Jess is making i don't think that's an argument you can make against veganism and and of course this is aside from the fact that i don't think Just in general, I don't believe we should be exploiting the animals even if it is the quote like good way of exploiting them, which I I don't think that there is one. So so that argument aside, I think how I would respond to Jess is by saying like it's not vegans that are causing non-vegans to eat not locally farmed meat. It's the fact that there's no way we can eat the amount of meat and feed all the people in the United States just by local farmers and and i think i said this in an episode a long time ago but like when we are you know when we're promoting veganism or when we're really promoting any like any ethic vegan or not vegan related i think it's important to think about like is the thing i'm promoting able to be replicated by everybody because if it's not then then is that something I should really be promoting. So in this instance like I wouldn't promote local people eating at people eating meat from local farms because it's not something that everyone can do. It's just literally not possible.
0: Yeah. The end. Yeah, that's a good point. I you know, I would I question the assessment that local is inherently good. I think there's a lot of great reasons to eat local food, but I don't think that it is inherently the best possible as you say global system you know i read a book called just food by james mcwilliams that sort of explores all of that and and talks about the complications of it and of course then i've read debunkings of the book but i think that all all of it leads to the fact that like it's more complicated than just local food is good like there's there's more to ethical food than just is it local and And I I agree, Paul, that we certainly should support our local farmers, but that doesn't mean that we have to do, you know, do it by supporting those that exploit animals. You know, this this makes me think about an argument that I would often encounter when I was doing a lot of outreach touring on college campuses and people would say, well by by going vegan, you're opting out of the system. And it means you're opting out of having a say in how the animals are treated. And so if you just sort of withdraw entirely, then these local farms go out of business, the ones that are doing it quote unquote, well, or more ethical. And all of that does then turn back to these giant factory farm operations, which are way worse. And, you know, any animal use is exploitation in my eyes, but like I can agree that what happens on these giant operations is probably a worse experience for the animals. Like I, I don't disagree with that assessment, but sort of our position is that any use of animals is unethical. And we're not in the the business of trying to find the most ethical way to use animals. We're in the business of not using animals, period. And so I think that it's kind of this I think it's like a false argument to say or it's misleading to say, well, we have to put our money towards those that are treating animals the best way possible or else they'll be treated horribly. You know, we are working towards a vegan future, which means a place where animals are not used at all, regardless of how well those animals are are used or exploited. So I think that we can look for that future that does support local farms. I think that with our global population, as you've been pointing out, Paul, I don't think it's a global, scalable model for everyone to eat from local farms necessarily. Um, Maybe someone could prove us wrong on that. But I think that in general, when we're looking at the population growing at the rate that it is, we are looking at some larger operations for agriculture as well. And I think it's probably about finding that good mix and that good balance between the both of them. But I think that ultimately, there's not room for us to willingly exploit animals if we have alternatives. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. And I guess I I feel like we've probably addressed everything in here. But but just let us know if you feel like we have sort of fallen short in any regard. But I guess that that final question of, you know, what does that do for the local food economy? I know that, you know, I, I live in my van, and I travel around. So it's it's really hard to implant myself in any sort of local food scene. But when I was living in New Haven, Connecticut and, and had an apartment and, I, you know, it, going to the local farmers markets was a big part of my weekly existence. And I would ride my bike down and and pick up whatever I could. And so, I, again, I, I just don't think it means abandoning the local food economy. I think it just means switching which local foods you purchase. But it was like a great pleasure to go down and talk to the actual farmers that were, were growing the food and getting their advice on like which apples I should get or learning how to cook a specific green that I hadn't really seen before. I think that being vegan and being a part of the local food economy can be a great pleasure and can be a really important part of the food that we purchase. So, yeah, I, I don't I think that it's sort of this false choice between being vegan or forsaking the local food economy. I think that you can do both.
1: Nice.
0: Nice. All right, Paul, we got, we got these last two questions, which are kind of one and the same sort of, or they're both sort of getting at the same point. So bring it on home, Paul.
1: All right. So Hannah P emailed in first and it was like the email and, and Hannah started by talking about the impact that Anthony Bourdain had on their upbringing and how it exposed them to and normalized diversity. And then I'm going to pick up the email. So, Hannah continues, when I grew up and ultimately became vegan, I certainly had my qualms with Bourdain's statements about vegans. But that aspect of his life does not negate the good he did by bringing people together and shining a light on complex cultural and political issues. He wasn't perfect, but who is? That being said, I found the premise of the reader's question highly disturbing. Celebrating anyone's death, even someone you vehemently disagree with, is, in my mind, Antithetical to the vegan ethos, which asks for kindness and compassion for all creatures, humans included. I doubt any vegan would celebrate the death of a non-human animal, regardless of the circumstances, and I think it's just as wildly inappropriate and offensive to celebrate the death of a human, save a war criminal or a cruel dictator. Bourdain, though far from perfect, was not evil. He was misinformed, maybe, or perhaps felt veganism contradicted his lifelong dedication to cultural truth.
0: And so in case anyone hasn't picked this up yet or hasn't listened to episode 137 in which was which was all about dissecting various vegan reactions to the death of Anthony Bourdain we had received a listener email that was essentially saying laying out this situation that some vegans were celebrating his death or not maybe not even celebrating necessarily but they weren't sad about his death or they they were like he, they pointed out the fact that he played a really big role in exploiting animals and normalizing the exploitation of animals more than the average consumer and was wondering if it was speciesist for someone to say you shouldn't celebrate his death but would celebrate the death of someone like a donald trump so let me let me also read this next message we got on facebook from nathaniel r which kind of points to the same thing before we get into this discussion After listening to episode 137, dissecting vegans' reactions to the death of Anthony Bourdain, I found myself wondering, what would it take for me to want to dance in the streets after someone dies? What led me to ponder this was when one of you stated you would probably celebrate when Trump dies. I believe it was Andy. Is it not speciesist to put the lives of others above those of animals? And if so, then why celebrate the death of one and not all of those who kill and exploit any animal or human? If it is simply a case of bias, then does this not put you on the opposite side of compassion? I just don't feel like a truly compassionate person would ever celebrate the death or misfortune of an animal or human. I'm not trying to play a gotcha game. I genuinely would like to know your thoughts on the matter. So, Paul, when, when we first received this message from Nathaniel R., my, my reaction was, I feel like Nathaniel's just sort of rephrasing the email that we spent the entire episode talking about. Mm-hmm. Which, which I, I believe is mostly the case, but I think that the thing that both of these are getting at is is basically this idea of that we did not answer. I don't think we asked directly of either of us. Was is it just like wrong to celebrate the death of anyone? Period, regardless of how horrible they were, or if they were horrible or not. Would you Would you say that's accurate?
1: Yeah, and and you mentioned this, Andy jokingly you said in that episode you were like it's almost as if anthony bardane is a complex human that like you know had good aspects and not so good aspects about him just like the rest of us for the most part and for me i think like what it would take to you know celebrate or dance in the streets after someone dies is like the type of person who it was just all bad aspects about them or it's like this person did so much terrible stuff to humans or or animals that it's like the the it's this is a harsh thing to say but it's like the world is probably a better place now that that person is not affecting it And, and like i think that's the sort of person for me that it would be like wow it's a good thing about that person not being in existence anymore but i feel like that is a very there are very few people who would fall under that category like i i think that it's rare that someone is that terrible you know
0: yeah yeah and you know I i feel like we spent a good amount of time talking about both both sides of bourdain the fact that he did do this from a, a lot of people's perspectives, really wonderful work and sort of uh, like opening up of the world to a lot of people who don't get to travel and, and normalizing food that maybe in other travel shows the host would be going, "ew, that's so weird," and we, you know, and, and he was just acting like it's normal and he talked to people and got to know them and, and we also talked a lot about how he he kind of normalized and in some ways celebrated the violent death of animals and obviously mocked veganism as well.
1: I, I also don't think they're like, I'm thinking of other famous chefs like, all right, I don't know much about Emerald Lagasse, <laughs> but, but if he said some of the same things about veganism that Anthony Bourdain did, but then he didn't maybe, you know, he wasn't also into, promoting like food diversity and that sort of thing and, and going and exposing like different cultures and stuff like that. If he wasn't into that stuff, I still don't think I would celebrate his death. Like it's, it's like, I don't know. I I just feel like for me, especially in the place that we are at right now in, in the United States, like the culture that we have surrounding veganism and non-veganism. It's like, I don't think that what he was doing while bad, like falls under that category for me of like, oh, I'm glad that this person is gone. Like, I, cause I don't think that I, you know what, you know what I think it might be is that I don't think that he, while yes, like maybe playing a very, very, very small role. It's like, he's not causing the world to be non-vegan. He's not like single handedly stopping, preventing the vegan movement from going forward.
0: Yeah, that's true. I, I guess that kind of has me reflecting on, you know, we we talked a lot about how he sort of normalized and celebrated violence towards animals in, in many regards. But perhaps more people, I think you pointed this out, maybe more people did want to try these different varieties of animal flesh because of his show. But do we think that more animals died because of his show? Do we think that more people were like, I need to kill a greater number of animals because of Anthony Bourdain, or did they just switch to which type of animal they want to exploit if they were influenced by his show? And personally, I, I I guess I don't think that he increased the amount of animals that were being killed. Like he was just sort of maintaining the normalcy of the whole thing.
1: But even if he did, even if he did, Andy, like, I don't think I think it would be so negligible that. I, I It would not come close to me for like celebrating his death because, you know, it's like think about I'm sure many people listening to this podcast have friends that were vegan, but now are not vegan. And aren't they also increasing the number of animals that that have that are now being killed by switching to being no longer vegan?
0: I guess you're not wrong on that. <laughs>
1: And and it's like I'm not going to celebrate their death, you know. So it's like I I feel like it's it's what he did in the grand scheme of things is not is is far from being significant enough that I would compare it to someone else who I might be like wow like this I'm glad in the in the grand scheme of history like I'm glad that this person is no longer around.
0: Yeah, and I guess. Like, is there a difference between thinking I'm glad this person is no longer around versus celebrating someone's death?
1: Well, I think that, like, the times when we see celebration are when, like, it's someone or a community of people who were directly impacted in a, te- like, terrible way by one of those such people. And, like, I think that that's when you see celebration because it's like, wow, like I was like, my community was being oppressed and killed because of this person. And now that person is not around. Like I could completely empathize with why there would be celebration because of that.
0: But so as vegans, you know, we're, we're inherently, our movement is comprised of allies to the animals. You know, they, they are the ones that will feel some relief if there's some, you know, animal version of a dictator, right. That, that dies. And that means that less animals will be killed because of it. Do you think even though we're allies that it's, it's inappropriate for us to feel relief or celebrate the death of someone where their death will mean that there is like less work for allies to do because less animals are being killed. Is there, is there something inherently wrong with feeling that relief?
1: I think feeling relief would be different than like celebrating,
0: and, I, you know, I think that we we use the term celebrating. And, uh, yeah, if if Donald Trump died, I guarantee you there would actually be literal parties that were thrown. <laughs> but for the most part, I, I don't think that there is any, any vegan group. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe I'm totally wrong. There's some dark corners of the Internet. I don't think that any vegans were throwing parties to celebrate the fact that Anthony Bourdain had died. They probably made yeah. some, as we know, some very insensitively worded posts about the whole thing but not celebrating. They weren't popping off little streamer bottle things because of his death.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that. So, but I don't know. I don't know if, because we are a, a movement of allies, maybe like relief would be okay. If, if there was this animal dictator, but celebration, maybe by my scale that I just kind of came up with, maybe it wouldn't be appropriate then.
0: Is it speciesist, though, to to feel like it'd be OK to celebrate the death of of someone that was horrible to humans, but we aren't willing to extend that to someone that was celebrating the, and causing the death of animals?
1: Well, maybe no. If if we're if I'm going by what my like internal meter is, is that like did this did this thing personally affect me and no then it's like then i'm i'm not going to be celebrating it but i'm not going to be like oh those people over there shouldn't be celebrating it either if they personally were affected by it you know
0: yeah yeah and i guess maybe we can wrap up by asking this question of is it inherently bad to celebrate the death of someone
1: i think i think in I'm, i'm sticking with my position that in these very few very extreme situations no Like, I think that if someone like I I think it would be a natural emotion if you were impacted so negatively by something and then that person no longer was able to do that to you. I I can completely empathize with wanting to celebrate that fact.
0: And let's say there was a situation where like there was let's bring it to a smaller scale, Paul. Like what if what if there was someone that was say bullying you like intensely through high school or something and then that person dies and then and you personally feel relief, but they are loved, beloved by many others in your school. Is it okay to, to to like visibly celebrate or do you feel like it's in bad taste and you should let those other people who did have a favorable view of that person just mourn in peace?
1: That's tough I don't know i I, I don't I don't know if I want to like <laughs> say yes, that's okay or no that's not okay I think I would not I think I personally would feel the relief but not celebrate it that's what I would personally do, but I'm not going to tell other people what to do. Yeah. Like, and again, I think that that still falls into this category of like a complex person with both good and bad aspects of their life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is, this is true. I think my response to this question of, is it inherently on the wrong side of compassion to celebrate the death of, or, I feel like there's probably something between quietly feeling relief and like really publicly celebrating the death of someone. Like, I feel like the middle of that is probably where a lot of this conversation actually lies, you know, like a a Facebook post or some comments between friends or something like that. Like, you know, is it inherently wrong to, to do that? Uh, Personally, my, I think my answer is no, because I feel like both of these questions sort of, to me it it makes me think about sort of like the violent the, the movement for nonviolence that sort of paints all violence as equal and inherently bad but i think that the violence that is you know inflicted upon a marginalized group is very different than the violence the marginalized group may use to gain their liberation or independence and i feel like a lot of times people confuse those two things and say like it goes both ways and, I, uh, you know, I personally am not someone that thinks nonviolence is inherently the most ethical way to go. Like, I recognize the right of people to self-defense. And so I think that the celebration of someone that did inflict, like, pain and suffering on a community, animal or not, I don't think that it's inherently wrong or unethical. And I don't think that it puts someone on the wrong side of compassion to do so. Uh, me, personally, I feel like I, you know... I would not generally be inclined to comment on it either way. You know, like I've obviously we have this podcast, but in my personal life, I didn't comment on Bourdain. You know, I didn't make a Facebook post. I may have had private conversations with people about it that were feeling some feelings, but um, I think that it's important for us to recognize the nuances of these things and that one is not always equal to the other. And I feel like these, these kind of questions sort of lump all of these these feelings together into one thing and and ask us to say good or bad here's the stamp of approval or not and I think everything's more complicated than that
1: yeah I, I think in general, like especially on social media it's like I think it's and I mean it makes sense to me why people do this because it's it's I feel like it's what our brains naturally want to do is we want to say either like yes, I'm for this thing or no I'm against this thing and Oftentimes issues are more complex than just being able to summarize something in like a you know you know ten ten word post you know
0: yeah, Paul nicely said thank you <laughs> thanks andy. <laughs> I think we can we could probably leave it off there the a, a long episode.
1: Yeah, go figure.
0: they usually are. I love the mailbag episodes because I feel like more than any other episode, it's the one where it feels like we're like hanging out with the beardos. Yeah. And it's like a little more a little more casual, a little more free flowing. So I I hope everyone else enjoys these type of episodes. I know that they're they have a different vibe than the normal episodes.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course, if you want to get in on the conversation or if you want to respond to any of the questions we asked or ask your own question. Feel free to email us at thebeardedvegans at gmail.com, or you can comment on our posts at the Instagram, which is just The Beard Vegans, or Facebook, also The Beard Vegans.
0: Uh, really switching it up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Andy, do you have any events coming up that you'd like us to know about?
0: Well, I'll say right now that I'm at Vegetarian Summerfest in Johnstown or Johnston, PA, and uh, I added that event last minute so sorry to any beardos that don't realize that i'm actually here <laughs> right now because <laughs> i will be gone by the time you hear this but yeah july 14th paul this weekend if you're listening to this in timely fashion a couple of days from now we'll be at the atlantic city vegan food fest doing our live podcast july 21st i'll be at compassion fest in hamden connecticut july 28th and 29th i'll be at veg fest colorado in broomfield colorado just outside of denver July 29th, Paul, you're going to be doing the Jimmy Jam at the Skylands Animal Sanctuary in New Jersey. And, yeah, that's all I'll say for now. But i got a a bunch of stuff coming up in August and September and beyond. And uh, all of those events, you can come find me or Paul behind the Compassion Company table. Look for the the unicorn t-shirts and the bright green tablecloth if you want all the dates, deeds, and links for these things, just head over to compassionco.com, hit the events tab and you'll, you'll find the complete listing of where you can find one or the other of us. And yeah, we'd love to see Beardo's new and returning.
1: Yes. All of you are, are welcome.
0: Yeah. All right, Paul, as we normally do, we always leave one final, one final piece of physical mail (laughs) to, to open up. So let me grab that real quick. Okay. Just open it up. That
1: mail looks expensive.
0: (laughs) Yes, it does. Okay. Um, All right. Okay. This is interesting. Um, It says, The wild dogs cry out in the night as they grow restless, longing for some solitary company. I know that I must do what's right. As sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti, I seek to cure what's deep inside, frightened of the following seven words.
1: <laughs> we are the Bearded beacons. signing off. Thank you. Our second winder winder. Winder. I'm winder. winder.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of something that's like Like let's not do some drugs and have premarital sex right now because it's time for the mailbag or something <laughs> like that. It's time to dive into the next mailbag.
1: Do, 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 do,
0: you know, we try to order these in, in order of like lightest to heaviest, so it gets a little more uh, complicated to think about stuff. Uh, no, that's horrible. Horrible description.
1: <laughs> Still saying, it's no lone, lone tar, st- lone, lone, blah, 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 blah. and it's <laughs> no lone star tick, Andy. And
0: that way, when I do get hunch, uh, hunch, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and so we've talked about it from sort of an effigy. Eff-
1: I was recently in Monterey, California, where I found a four point seven star vegan Mexican restaurant on Yelp. Cue angel singing. Ah. <laughs> I went there with several. Th- that was in the. Uh, that was in the notes. I didn't. I didn't make that up.
0: But I do hope you add that in the editing. Some actual <laughs> angels singing. <laughs> Good idea. Um, I got to run to the bathroom real quick.
1: Okay. Are you still recording? Ah, right he's gone. He's gone i have seen phases lately like plastic is not ah phrases
0: (laughs) but this is an interesting question because why is it an interesting question um i don't know that it's a global scalable model for everyone to eat local farms but i think eat local farms
1: (laughs) <laughs> we are the bearded vegans signing off.
0: Have you have you used that one before? I used the first verse before. <laughs> Is that what you did in the last mailbag episode? I think I did all star last time.
1: Did did you want me to use Africa as the outro?
0: No, we could use Piss Jeans.
1: I feel like we we must have used Africa at some point.
0: Yeah, no, the first time I did that, you used your cover. Okay. We could use the Weezer cover. <laughs> oh, gross.